I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to first e free. <laughs> it has been a couple of years since uh, I have been able to be with you all, so I'm glad to be back. That must have been a pretty bad sermon, the last one I preached. <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> I got put on a long punishment. Amen. All right. Hopefully I'll do better today than last time. So it is so good to be back. I told first service that first free has become like a second home for me here in Wichita. And so I am so glad to be with you all. Um, it's good to be back home uh, with familiar faces. Um, I am so grateful uh, for your pastor, your lead pastor, uh, Josh Black. That, that's my dude right there. He is one of my favorite preachers. Um, and I, I said this to you all before, but as I said earlier, it's been a couple of years, so I'll remind you. I am a better man, a better disciple, a better pastor, a better preacher, a better father, a better husband because of Pastor Josh Black. And man, from the bottom of my heart, I say thank you and I love you so much. Thank you for all the doors you've opened here in Wichita. Um, and, and, and he talks about how we... Uh, partnered together and we're on the same preaching team and Dominic is preaching the same text that I'm going to preach this morning. The only drawback to preaching the same text as Josh now is that I don't get to steal his sermons like I used to. <laughs> when, when we were not on the same sermon text or the same book of the Bible, I could just go on the website and look up his sermons and yeah, yeah. So... I never give him credit at the bridge, but you know, <laughs> but yeah. So God is good. It is good to be with you all. Um, finally, I do want to take a moment to honor um, someone that is very special to me, and that is my wife Connie, who is here with me this morning. Amen. Amen. Many of you have asked and continue to ask about her and let me get in trouble you because you you ask how is she doing let, let me show you how she's doing stand up babe let, let them see you let them see you just turn on around yeah hey hey listen two years ago she didn't have all that hair on her head but look at god now God is a healer. For those of you who don't know, uh, in 2019, she was diagnosed with lymphoma. And at the age of 33, we, we were shocked and surprised that she would have cancer. And, uh, and so she went through chemo. And uh, was it 2019? Or, yeah. And she had all the effects that come with chemo treatment and everything. But God is a healer. 
and he has healed her body. And we are grateful and we give him all the glory, honor, and praise. And many of you were right there with us. You prayed with us. You prayed for us. You brought over meals, gave us gift cards. We still taking those, by the way. So, <laughs> Lord. And the reason I said this is because I'm in charge of dinner most nights now because she is in school. She's working on her doctorate um, in education. She's currently the principal at Curtis Middle School and is killing it. And um, so now that I'm on for dinner, y'all give me some more gift cards. (laughs) All right. I didn't come up here to do all that. I'm here to preach. So So grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. Chapter number 26, Matthew chapter 26, we'll begin at verse number 57 and read through the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse number 57, as is our custom, let's stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. Matthew chapter number 26. Verse number 57. Have your way, Lord. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At least two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. 
After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to evoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are on our road to Calvary. Jesus has been betrayed by Judas, one of his own, with a kiss. He's been deserted by his disciples. And now he's facing the first of two formal trials. The first is a Jewish trial, and the second is a Roman trial. The Jewish trial happens in the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. And there in that setting, the ruling authorities had gathered in order to put Jesus on trial. The text lets us know that the verdict had already been decided. They were gathering to find charges to support their verdict. Jesus is essentially guilty until proven innocent. They now have to do some hard work. They need evidence to support their guilty verdict. They need witnesses. The text says there were many false witnesses. Now, we must remember that under Jewish law, there had to be at least two witnesses that agreed about the charges against the individual. The problem that they are having is that they can't find two people to agree on the same charge. They've got many witnesses, but they can't find two to agree. Finally, Matthew says that they find two witnesses who come to an agreement about Christ's wrongdoing. And verse 61 says that these witnesses come to the agreement that Jesus said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. That's the charge against Jesus. The only problem is it's a false charge. Jesus never said he would destroy the temple of God. What he said was, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. So Jesus here is on trial on a misinterpretation of what he said. Jesus here has the opportunity to refute their charge. Yet, He remains silent. 
Some, some commentators say, say it's a sovereign silence. Jesus here is accepting and embracing his destiny of the cross. His silence leads the high priest to take charge and demands that Jesus, under oath, tell them if he is the Christ and the Son of God. Now, for him to say he is the Christ, now, that's all right. Not that big of a deal, because many people had come saying they were the Christ. Oh, but now, He's also being asked if he is the son of God. Now we got problems. If he is the son of God, then this actually becomes for Jesus a matter of life and death. If he says he is the son of God, then he is claiming to be equal with God. To be equal with God is to call oneself God. And this would have been considered blasphemy. You need to know that that's considered blasphemy because according to Leviticus chapter 24 verse 16, the consequence of blasphemy is capital punishment. The death penalty. Jesus here has the opportunity to save his hide. He, he here has the opportunity to spare his own life. All he simply has to do is deny that he is the son of God and then he could avoid the cross. Deny that he's the son of God, then he's never whipped. Deny and he's never scourged. Deny and there's no torture. Deny, and then there's never, there's no nails in his hands or nails in his feet. All he simply has to do is to deny his deity. Friends, do you see how high the stakes are? He, if, if he simply denies his divinity, he could get the, his, the first part of his prayer from the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed to the Father and said, let this cup pass from me. And I know they told y'all that that cup was the cup of suffering, the cup of God's wrath. He, he wanted to avoid the cross. All he has to do here is deny, deny, deny. And he could save his own life. And here is the tension that we face in this first section. Will he save his own life or will he sign his own death warrant? And I know, I know you're saying, where's Jesus? We know he's going to choose the right thing. He won't deny. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Remember that this same Jesus would tell people that he healed and people that he taught, he would tell them, Tell no one else who I am. 
We, we call that the messianic secret. It's more a, a characteristic of the book of Mark. But we see some of this in the book of Matthew. We see it especially in Matthew chapter number 16, where, where Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they tell him all these names. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And then my boy Peter, oh, I like Peter. He, he, he says, thou art the Christ. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. And then he tells them, after that encounter, he says, but tell no one that I am the Christ. He keeps his messiahship a secret. And now Jesus has the opportunity to maintain this messianic secret. And he doesn't have to go to the cross. So again, I ask you, what will Jesus do? Will he save his life or will he sign his own death warrant? I'm glad you asked. We find our answer in verse 64. Jesus says to the question, are you the Christ, the son of God? Jesus says, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and the coming on the clouds of heaven. First thing we see is the deity of Christ revealed. The deity of Christ revealed. Jesus here answers in the affirmative concerning if he's the Messiah and the Son of God. Rather than denying, he embraces it. What Jesus does here in his answers, he says, I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus actually quotes two separate verses. The first verse that he quotes is Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1, where it says, The Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus himself interprets this verse in Matthew 22, I believe, and he confirms that Yahweh is speaking to the greater son of David, the Messiah. And God tells tells this messianic figure, "You, You sit at my right hand. Let me fight this battle until, the, and I'll make your enemies your footstool. The right hand, you, you know this, you, you're, this is first free. Right hand is the, the place of honor, the place of power, the place of authority. So Jesus affirms that he is the Messiah by quoting Psalm number 110. Psalm 110, though, says, the Lord says to my Lord. But Jesus here says, Instead of saying the Lord, calling himself the Lord, he calls himself the Son of Man. Did Jesus just forget what, how to quote the verse, what the verse actually say, says here? Why call himself Son of Man? Y'all ask some good questions here at First Tree. Jesus now brings in Daniel chapter 7, verse number 13. Daniel 7, verse number 13, which says, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. 
And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Jesus here declares that he is indeed the son of man as prophesied in Daniel. He is the one coming on the clouds of heaven that will be given dominion and a kingdom. And declaring himself the son of man, Jesus is affirming that he is indeed the son of God. So then what we see here, friends, is Jesus not denying his sonship but declaring and affirming that he is indeed the Son of God, the Messiah. When his faith is on trial, he chooses not to save his life, but to lose his life. Yeah, yeah, uh, something goes right there. You should have looked amen, said amen, or something, because I'm glad that he chose to lose his life because otherwise I'd still be dead in my sins. And that's just not my testimony, but that's your testimony too. Because he lost his life, I can now have eternal life. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Not only does Jesus make a declaration of his sonship, But he also makes a declaration regarding his authority, his kingship. He says, I declare my sonship, but I'm also going to declare my kingship. Remember, he is the son of man from Daniel chapter 7, who has all authority and all power. And essentially, he's letting this, this council know that the tables will one day be turned. Right now, you stand in judgment over me. But one day, I'm going to stand in judgment over you. Right now, you condemn me. But I am the judge who will condemn you eternally. He he is the judge who has all power and all authority. And he has the final say. He is the king who will bring perfect justice to the world. And this, this is, this is a matter of justice because actually the trial that he's experiencing right now is an unjust trial. See, they are actually breaking their own rules. It's an unjust trial and that they have already determined that he was guilty without hearing any evidence. It's an unjust trial and that according to their rules, that there was not, there was not supposed to be this kind of trial at nighttime. By by their own rules, they likely don't even have a quorum present of the Sanhedrin. This is an unjust trial in that this trial wasn't supposed to be held in a private residence. But yet here they are in the home of Caiaphas. This is a kangaroo court. It is unfair and unjust. But Jesus says, uh, one day the tables will be turned. Wrong will be made right. Injustice will be turned into justice. He who is now the suffering servant will one day become the conquering king. And friends, this is good news. 
We, we face so much injustice in our world today. Abortion is rampant. Racism is the nation's, is this nation's sins that just won't die. Sexism persists. Even around the globe we see injustice. Russia it has invaded Ukraine and innocent civilians continue to be casualties of an insensible war. And friends, in times like these, it is easy to become despondent and discouraged courage, complacent, and callous. Oh, but this text this morning reminds us that our king is still on the throne. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, one day Putin going to have to bow the knee <laughs> to King Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. And so Jesus reminds, he lets us know that he's on the throne. And he has all power and all authority. So then, how, how do we respond to this? It's one thing. Jesus has told us who he is. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, the King with all power and authority, the one who will judge the world in righteousness. How then do we respond to this Jesus? Well, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, well, verse 14 says there's all people, languages, and nations serve him. So, some translations say worship him. Matthew, from the very beginning of, of this gospel, even up to now, has sought out to prove that Jesus is indeed the long-awaited Messiah King. And he, what now will you do with this King, King Jesus? Will you receive him or will you reject him? And beloved, that choice is before us even on today. What will you do with King Jesus? Have you received him by faith? Or do you not deny his kingship? But this table, the, the, the question is still on the table for those of us who are saved. What will you do with King Jesus? Will you obey him? Will you submit to him? Will you follow him? Will you adore him? These people said, the chief priest says, this Jesus has uttered blasphemy. What is your judgment? They say he deserves death. They rejected this king. King of kings and Lord of lords. What they failed to realize is that he didn't deserve death, but he deserved their adoration, their worship, their service. So first thing we see in this faith on trial is the deity of Christ revealed. He does not shrug back from who he is, but he embraces it, even at the cost of his own life. There's another trial, another man on trial, though. His name is Peter. This trial is different than Jesus' trial. Peter's trial is a trial of character. A trial of devotion. Text says, beginning in verse 69, 
that Peter is in the courtyard of Caiaphas. The servant girl comes up to him and says to him, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. And Peter responds by denying his association and affiliation with Jesus. And he does this, friends, not once, not twice, but three separate times. He denies that he was with Jesus. And after that third denial, the rooster crows. Verse 75 says, and Peter remembered The saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter remembered what Jesus said. He went out and wept bitterly. So first we saw the deity of Christ revealed. But now we see the denial of Christ remembered. The denial of Christ remembered. What what is happening here? The easy thing to preach here is to tell y'all, don't deny Jesus. Yeah, and don't do that, by the way. But why has Matthew uniquely remembered this denial and recorded for our reading and hearing? I want to suggest two reasons this morning, and then we'll go get brunch. Who's buying Let's review real quick. Earlier in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, Jesus tells his disciples, he says that you all will fall away because of me this night. And they say, no, we won't. Peter speaks up. He responds vehemently that he will never fall away. Even if he has to die with Jesus, he will never deny him. Jesus has already predicted that Peter would deny him. Jesus tells Peter before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Jesus predicted. And now, what Matthew is showing us is that what Jesus predicted is now being fulfilled. Okay, y'all want me to work a little harder. Look at verse 68. It says that the crowd spit on Jesus, and then they said to him, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? They are mocking that he is a prophet. And I'm convinced that one reason that Matthew remembers or records people to denial is to provide additional proof to us that Jesus is indeed a real prophet. They mocked him, but Peter is saying, look, he is a real prophet. You know, the test of a prophet, according to uh, uh, the Bible, is uh, if you want to see if somebody is a real prophet, just see if what they predicted comes to pass. Really, pretty easy test. And what we see here is Jesus prophesying that Peter will will deny him, the rooster will crow, Peter will have denied him three times, and now it actually happened. So Matthew is letting us know he is indeed a real, true prophet. 
What's the significance of Jesus being a prophet? If he is indeed a prophet, then his words can be trusted. If he is indeed a prophet, then his promises are true. If he is indeed a prophet, then he speaks truth. If he is indeed a prophet, then if he says he's the Christ, then guess what? He is the Christ. And so since he is a prophet and has said that he is the Christ, then believe him. Trust in him. Follow him. I think another reason Matthew records Peter's denial. We must remember that Peter, he is aware that if he, is, if he affirms that he was with Jesus, then he would suffer the same fate of Jesus himself. He would be shamed and have to suffer like Jesus. And so Peter here has a choice. As he has a choice that Jesus had. He can either save his life or he can lose his life for the sake of Jesus. When his faith is on trial, he has two choices. He can either choose the easy, convenient path of self-preservation, or he can pay the costly price of self-denial. And Peter chooses the preferred path of self-preservation. And Peter, I'm convinced that Matthew records Peter's denial to show us that, to show us a contrast in these two men. Jesus chose the way of self-denial, but Peter chose the way of self-preservation, and it left, led to remorse, weeping, lament. He knew he had wronged Jesus. It was another form of betrayal of Jesus. And Matthew is showing us that what we are called to as followers of Christ is daily self-denial. We are tempted daily to choose the preferred path of self-preservation. But what we are called to as followers of Christ is to pay the price of self-denial. I know, I know. It, what does self-denial look like in a place like America? I'm convinced that some of the, the greatest idols of today's church churches are the idols of comfort, convenience, Security and safety. And what we see is because we idolize comfort, convenience, and safety and security, convenience, we don't deny ourselves. We're like Peter. We choose the path of self-preservation. It is amazing to me that many of us, and I said us, not y'all, I said us, we choose the path of self-preservation where we distance ourselves, just like Peter, followed at a distance, we distance ourselves from the very people we need to reach with the gospel. 
We, do, we don't want to rub elbows with them at all because we prefer comfort, convenience, safety, and security. I'm the same way. But we are called to deny ourselves. Friends, when your faith is under fire, when your faith is on trial, will you choose the path of self-preservation or pay the costly price of self-denial? Jesus said it this way, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So let's get out of here. When you're at school, students, do you choose the path of self-preservation or the way of self-denial? In the marketplace, do you choose self-preservation or self-denial? In your neighborhood, do you choose self-preservation or self-denial? Among friends whom you, whose approval and acceptance you desire, do you choose self-preservation or self-denial? Will you stand for Christ? Or will you deny him? I didn't share this with the first service, so y'all can act real deep and tell them this. I'm reminded, we went through Titus. Uh, recently. I think y'all did too. And in Titus chapter 1, Paul is telling Titus about these false teachers. And he says something in verse 16, which just really, it just grabbed my attention. And here's what he says. He says, they, these false teachers, they profess God, but watch this, but they deny him by their works. So we can deny Christ, not in just our words, but in our ways as well. Friends, do you deny, are you denying Christ by your works? Jesus is the paragon of self-denial. He is the ultimate supreme example and model for denying oneself. We see this the whole time he was on the earth. Jesus denied himself. He denied himself by becoming a little fetus in, in, in the womb of a woman. He denied himself by becoming a man and taking on the form of a slave. He denied himself by being in a, born in a stable full of animals. He denied himself by willing to have a poopy diaper. He denied himself by dying the death that was reserved for the worst of criminals. He denied himself by taking up the cross and shedding his own blood, though he was innocent of sin. He denied himself, though he knew no sin, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He denied himself in that he died upon an old rugged cross. He denied himself in that he allowed himself to be buried in a borrowed tomb. He denied himself. All but God rewarded his self-denial by vindicating his unjust death, by raising him from the grave with all power and authority. He, he denied himself. And he who endured the cross, friends, now wears a crown of glory as he sits at the right hand of the Father. Oh, I want to be like him. Do we really? 
Are you willing to endure the cross? Or do you just want your crown? Today, somebody, all of us, are being called to deny ourselves, to lay aside our own selfish ways and preferences and desires and dreams for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. But somebody may be here today, uniquely you are being called to deny yourself by putting all of your trust and hope and confidence in Jesus alone for forgiveness of sins. Don't rely on your own self. Don't rely on yourselves good, your, yourself's good works. Don't rely on your own good reasoning. Don't rely on yourself, but rely on Jesus and him alone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ this day and you will be saved. But for all of us, how, we re how will we respond to this king? And this king says, if you're going to be one of his subjects, a citizen of his kingdom, then you must deny yourself and take up your cross. When your faith is on trial, when your faith is under pressure, Will you embrace the cross, embrace the suffering, embrace the shame? Friends, I declare that this momentary affliction is not worthy to be compared to the glory. Hey, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, we are so grateful that he humbled himself and became our suffering servant. We are so grateful for Jesus who in the moment that he had to save his life for our sake and according to your will, he chose to lose his life. And so now, Father, May we follow his example. May we be faithful followers of Jesus Christ and daily denying self and not choosing the easy, convenient path of self-preservation, but daily denying ourselves. God, we confess that we are oftentimes selfish, self-focused, self-absorbed. God, deliver us from ourselves. Break the bondage of being self-absorbed so that we can live freely and obediently for Jesus the rest of our lives. Father, if there be some man, woman, boy, or girl who has not yet trusted in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will begin to do a work in their hearts and their minds that they would see that they are a sinner that deserve, in deserving God's wrath, but yet Jesus Christ has taken God's wrath on their behalf so that they could be saved. So, Father, we pray if, that they might come crying, what must I do to be saved? And they hear clearly, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Change us, O oh God. Help us not to just be hearers of your word this morning, but doers as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.